Good morning, welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and it is great to be with you. Loving the summer weather, right? So I got to step in my garden for like the first time in a month, like after all that rain and everything. So hopefully you're enjoying it and have good plans today. So we are uh, stepping into a part of the Bible that a lot of people don't read a lot out of. It's kind of the back of the Old Testament. Some people call that the white pages of your Bibles. There's not a lot of underlines or maybe highlights there. We're going to read from the book of Habakkuk today. So you can start looking, go, uh, and I'll start talking out of it in about three minutes. So you got time. And this might be a table of contents morning. So just look in the table of contents. It'll take you right to Habakkuk. So we're going to be preaching through the book of Habakkuk and then Amos this summer. And we're going to find uh, there are some amazing truths for us there. We would love to, as a teaching team, we would love for you to get more comfortable throughout your Bible, wherever you're reading. And so we're excited about these places uh, that will go together this summer. So we did have a discussion about how are we going to say Habakkuk? Is it going to be Habakkuk or Habakkuk? Or so we're going with Habakkuk, all right? So um, just kind of just roll with that if you can. Um, a lot of K's in that name. So it looks like it'd be a good Scrabble name, except I think there's only two K's in a Scrabble set. So you probably can't even spell Habakkuk. But um, he's going to teach us some really cool things um, because you'll, you'll see as we get into it, it's a very unique book of prophecy. Most of the time when you read one of the other prophetic books, it's like God gives the prophet a message and then that prophet is supposed to take it and deliver it to God's people. So you're going to see Habakkuk's a little different. Instead of talking to the people about something that God said, uh, Habakkuk's going to be talking straight to God about stuff that he sees going on with the people. And so it's like we get to eavesdrop in a conversation between a righteous prophet who doesn't like what's going on, and he's having a very honest conversation with God. And so I wonder this morning, and I know they're there in our lives, but, but if there are some tucked away issues that you've got with God that you just haven't brought up for whatever reason, maybe something from your past, maybe some big why questions, or God, where were you? Or God, what are you doing? Maybe for some of us, that is very raw right now. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you wish you could just have this conversation that Habakkuk had with God. And so I'm really excited in these, we'll take four weeks to go through this book, but just to kind of watch this ongoing conversation between Habakkuk and God. And it's kind of like, here's the analogy, like if you've ever gone on a hike before and you're able to see like the peak where you're going, like sometimes it's daunting, like, are you serious? We're gonna, from here, we're going up there. I'm not so sure we can do that. But like when you get up there, and the view is amazing, and you look down to where you were, uh, it's like I, I've been so tempted to just jump you right away to the end of Habakkuk and show you where he ends up. But let me just tell you, just kind of trust me, what you're going to see in this conversation is that Habakkuk's going to go from a place of just really questioning God. God, what are you doing? Are you really good? Are you really in control? And God, through these honest conversations, is going to take Habakkuk to a place where he's going to be able to look and, and see some amazing things. So four weeks, that's what we're doing this summer. Let me pray, and we'll jump in uh, to chapter one of Habakkuk. So let's pray. So God, thank you for your word, and that every page of it is, is true, that every page of it is a revelation from you to us. And I thank you for this unique book that's kind of tucked away in the back of the Old Testament that, that maybe a lot of us haven't even read, and we can't even say the guy's name right. And yet, we're going to learn some profound things 
Uh, the questions that Habakkuk asks are questions that we're either afraid to ask or maybe we have asked. And so I just pray that in these weeks we would learn more about who you are, that we would learn more about who we are, and that we would be a people that are just more passionately in love with you, come what may, into our lives. So speak to us uh, from this great book. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so you've had about three minutes to get there. So hopefully you're in Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 1. I'm just going to start the first four verses. So it's the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. So just right away, verse 1 introduces us and it says this is an oracle. So Unless you're an NBA fan, you know the Warriors play in a place called the Oracle. He's not talking about that. An Oracle was a message or a vision that God would give to a prophet. And again, the most typical pattern was that God would reveal something, either about the current situation or about something to come, or usually a combination of both, and say, now go and show that to my people. Go and explain what you just saw from me to the people. And so what's unique here again is that, is that Habakkuk's going to see something from God and he's going to go right back to God. Before he goes to the people, he's like, God, I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like what you're doing here. But that's, that's what's going on. And a prophet was somebody basically uh, chosen by God to be his spokesman to the people. And so Habakkuk fits that category. He was a righteous man. And we're going to learn a lot about his relationship with God through just an honest, raw dialogue with God, okay? So we caught a little bit of it as we read through verses 2 through 4. Like, he's asking a couple of questions. God, how long and, and why aren't you seeing what I'm seeing? So he's actually asking some very painful questions. God, what's going on here? And whenever anybody's asking how long, you know there's some suffering involved and that this is kind of a deep issue. This isn't like a splinter in a finger kind of thing. Like, this is deep. This is at the heart level. And so just kind of give you a little snapshot of Habakkuk's situation, what's going on. He, he was a prophet about 600 years before the time of Jesus. Just kind of frame up our, our timeline here. And he is speaking to um, the tribes of the southern kingdom. So if I could back it up, what, what, what Habakkuk would have been most excited about would have been when David was the king of Israel. And there were 12 tribes and their borders were expanding and they had a strong military, a strong economy. And in, throughout the world, they were known as a very powerful kingdom. But over time, as God's people began to rebel against him and disobey him, uh, things started to crumble. And so that one kingdom of 12 tribes became two, a northern and southern kingdom. There were 10 tribes to the north and two to the south. And, when the, and at the time that Habakkuk was writing, the 10 northern tribes, the northern kingdom, had already been wiped out by the Assyrians. So now you're talking about two, just these two tribes left in the south. And what's going on around him is that the national powers, like Egypt is still strong. That's like Ohio State and Big Ten football. Man, they're always good, right? So you got them and you have the Assyrians. Maybe that's like Penn State. Man, they're always good too. And then, and then kind of an up and coming, uh, maybe it's like Wisconsin the last 10 years, like the up and coming 
uh, country and empire now is the Babylonian Empire. In this text, it was called the Chaldeans, same place. And so as Habakkuk's looking around, this little, now little country, little kingdom is being surrounded by these big ones. But, and so that's causing unrest for sure. But the biggest deal to Habakkuk wasn't what's going on around them. It was what was going on inside the kingdom itself. So everywhere he was looking, he was seeing God's people were just going the wrong direction. And the leaders were oppressing the people. The leaders were living in sin instead of obeying God. And so he's just at his wit's end. God, don't you see what's happening to your own people? Look at your own leaders. Your own spiritual leaders are not teaching the truth. They're not living the truth. They're hypocrites. They're oppressing the people. They're misusing their power. God, don't you see what's going on? And so, and so that's kind of setting the stage here. That's Habakkuk's big deal. And I want to pause for a second. And I just want to ask you, okay, what are your how long God conversations? Maybe you've had them before. You know, maybe uh, there's just different hardships you've gone through. Um, so personally, like when we hit June 13th, that's an anniversary for our family. We had our house taken out by an F five tornado and so we still kind of touch base with each other i was like in junior high at the time lived up near ames and so like seriously i remember as a kid like why our house like there were so many other houses that but our everything's gone you know and we did learn a lot from that as we got older i mean there's some harder things in our lives but the hardest was when one of our close family members took her life and we had and with a little daughter and we just it just crushed the whole family. Like, what is going on? God, why uh, did that happen? And then as a pastor, like you just, I just think through my uh, life as a pastor, there have just been some brutal things you walk through. Uh, illnesses, cancer, uh, uh, a dad who accidentally ran over his two-year-old daughter and just wept with that family for years answering, God, why why? Or one year in high school ministry here where we had two juniors die in two separate car accidents. You say, God, why? Or uh, we've had moms, we've had dads pass away. Just, I mean, just the sad things that happen in this broken world. You just are in that place where you're in the same spot as here's Habakkuk. And you're just asking God, why? And what I want us to notice about Habakkuk is uh, he's modeling for us, what do you do when you see hardship, when you see brokenness, because I'm afraid that maybe a lot of us might kind of play it, I'm going to call it Iowa nice. Iowa nice. Like maybe, you know, it's hurting, whatever's going on, whatever is in our hearts, whatever's in our lives, or whatever we see around us. But maybe the Iowa niceness is, well, you know, I can't really complain about God to that. Like that's probably not appropriate. So, so I'll just kind of stuff it. And the, the problem is, and, and maybe not, maybe your, your deal has been you just, you, you lash out at God, or maybe some people aren't even here in church today because something like that happened and you just run from God. But I want to speak this morning that what, what uh, Habakkuk is doing is that he's modeling something for us that you do see throughout the Bible that instead of keeping it inside, you just bring it to God. You just bring whatever that hardship is to God. Because I'm afraid that this, and this might be happening in your heart, it might be happening in mine this morning, that instead of being honest with God about the pain or about our why questions, what could be happening is if you just kind of tuck that in, that slowly there's kind of a seething disappointment, anger, 
at God. And so where that starts eroding away is on two just solid truths about God, that God is great and that God cares. And you start losing either of those, uh, of the two just pillars of, of who God is, you start losing those. And what you start seeing is that your passion for him begins to fade, kind of your fervency, your hunger to get to know him more, or your boldness to talk about him. I mean, it just, this life is hard. And when you face things like that and you just keep them inside, and instead of asking God why, instead of just, maybe just slowly on the inside, they start, and maybe you start thinking, well, why should I pray big prayers? Because God hasn't answered my prayers for a while, or God sure wasn't with me when this happened, or um, God must not, or God must not care. So why should I keep getting closer to him? Or why should I trust him if he doesn't really care about me? And so what Habakkuk is modeling is like, what do you do when you understand what God is doing? You go straight to him. And so, in fact, there's a whole theme that you'll see in the Psalms. They're called Psalms of Lament, where you'll see God's people do this. So let me turn you to Psalm 13. That's an example of that. And this is David writing this psalm. In Psalm 13, the first couple of verses, uh, he's, he sounds like Habakkuk. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Shall my enemy, how, or how, shall my, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And so, what I want you to know is that God's desire is for us to just pour our hearts to him. All right, 1 Peter 5, 7 might be a key verse for this morning. Cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. So we're going to learn a lot about Habakkuk in the next three weeks, but this is kind of the first step is that when there are these hard things going on, God wants us to go to him, not run from him. God wants us to open up to him, not kind of keep it inside and stuff it down. He's big enough. He's God enough. He loves you enough. Nothing's going to change with all that. He would just love for you to just pour out your heart to him. I know as a dad, if I can tell something's really bugging one of my kids, and, you know, they're at the age now where I can't make them tell me. You just kind of have to, like, wait for them to tell you. But when they would come and say, okay, I'm ready to talk. And even if I'm involved, like, even if it's something that I have done wrong, man, I would way rather know that than just kind of see them kind of languish and, and kind of suffer and be down and have no joy. And I'm a sinful dad. I mean, imagine the perfect, your perfect father in heaven would just love to hear the cries of your heart cast your cares on him because he cares for you. And so um, that's the first thing that we see in Habakkuk. And the next thing I want you to see is in verse 5 is that we have a God who responds, a God who hears our cries. So verse 5, God responds to Habakkuk and he says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astonished for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. All right, so I want you to immediately notice that God doesn't kick Habakkuk off the team. It's like, okay, you're done. Give me another prophet. If you're going to complain about what I'm doing, I don't want you around. Like, he doesn't do that. He doesn't dust him. doesn't turn him to ash, hit him with lightning right there. Uh, there there's, a, there's a conversation going on, and God replies back to him. And the other thing you see here is that God is working a plan. 
God isn't like telling, oh, wow, Habakkuk, thanks, man. I was just having a crazy week and I wasn't paying attention. Thanks for calling that to my attention because I didn't see what was going on. So thanks for waking me up. Sorry I fell asleep at the wheel. I'll try to be a better God from here on. Like, so that's, that's not God's response either. God's response is, first, he, he acknowledges, he responds, he has heard the cries. And now there's an assurance that I am at work. I do have a plan. And so you see that that's an amazing theme throughout the Bible that, I mean, if you consider how huge God is and how infinite he is and how relatively small we are, like it's amazing that the God of the universe would even hear our cries, but he does. That's a theme you see throughout the Bible. Like in the Old Testament, there was a time where God's people uh, were in slavery in Egypt and they were crying out to him uh, and they were in slavery for 400 years. And when God met Moses at the burning bush and kind of gave Moses instructions about rescuing his people from Egypt, God said, I have heard the cries of my people. So God is tuned in to what's going on. In fact, the, the most common Hebrew word for, for prayer is to cry out. And God loves to hear the cries of his people. Look at Psalm 5. This is David just celebrating that aspect of God. He says, listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you, and I wait in expectation. Like we have a God who loves to listen uh, to his people. Um, 1 John 5.14 says, this is the confidence that we have before God, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. Or 1 Peter 3.12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. So you might read that verse and go, well, I guess I'm in trouble. Like if, if, if his ears and eyes are on the righteous, I guess that's not me. But see, that's the beauty of what Jesus has done for us in the cross. That if you acknowledge that you are a sinner before a holy God, that you are not righteous, you do not deserve to be heard by such a holy God. If you understand that, and then you see what Jesus came to do for you, that Jesus died for you on the cross to take away your sin and to give you his righteousness, now you have access to this holy, almighty, eternal, infinite God through Jesus. Like we, he hears the cries of the righteous. He hears the cries of those who come to him in the name of Jesus. Then your prayers are heard. Like what an amazing privilege. And you see the heart of your God, the extent he went to so that he can hear your voice, so that he can hear when you cry out to him. So, uh, so what we're seeing so far is if you've got the big why questions, you ask, you give those to God. And secondly, we have a God who hears when we do cry out to him. And uh, my, the third, third point here is that, is that this God who hears is also the God who reigns. He has a plan. He is working a plan. And so when we read 6 through 11, you'll see how God just kind of discloses his plan to Habakkuk and, and how Habakkuk responds to that. So verse 6, God says this, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march throughout the breadth of the earth, to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. 
all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. All, at, at kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. For they pile up earth and they take it. And then they sweep by like the wind and they go on. Guilty men by whose own might is their God. So if you didn't follow all that, what God is saying is, okay, Habakkuk, I'm working a plan. You, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And then he tells them. And you're going to see next week, Habakkuk doesn't like this plan. Basically what he's saying is, okay, I have seen the injustice of my people. And what I'm doing here is I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And they are going to come and they're going to take over. They're just going to run through my people. And uh, he, he describes them. They're fast. They're strong. They come suddenly. Um, they come convincingly. And they have no regard for other rulers or other laws. They do whatever they want to do. They are oppressive. And notice how he even says, he talks, they gather up captives like sand. Like you just go to a beach, take a big old handful of sand, and there's so many grains of sand in that hand. Like that's just how they do. That's how they roll. In fact, that's exactly what happens to God's people shortly after this, that uh, the, the Babylonians invade. They take three waves of captives back to Babylon. And for 70 years, that's what happens to God's people. And so this is an oracle. This is a vision. And this is exactly what happened to God's people. And so you can imagine, and you're going to see it next week because the conversation continues. Habakkuk doesn't like this. Like, you're going to do what? Like you're going to take, I say, I know we're wicked and evil, but like, at least we're not Babylonians. You're going to use the Babylonians to come and punish your people, God. You're going to, you're going to do work in your people's lives. What are you doing here? And so let me just say this at the front end of looking at minor prophets. Maybe one reason why we don't turn to the minor prophets a lot is that there's going to be some very honest truth there about our own sin and about our own relationship with God. And it is a lot easier for a prophet like Habakkuk, you know, to look around and say, oh, God, judge the Assyrians. God, judge the Egyptians. God, judge the Babylonians. Maybe just like for you, it's easy to look around and go, man, God, just, you know, the people I work with, they're jerks. Like, take care of them, right? Or the Democrats just say, man, those Republicans, take care of them. Or the Republicans, ah, the Democrats are so, like, it's so easy to point at the sin that's out there. There's the work that the minor prophets do with the people of God and even with us this summer is that God's going to turn the focus right here. Well, what about the sin in us? Like what about that that is as offensive to God as the sin that we see around us? In fact, I just think a good statement for us to live humbly in a sinful, broken world is to make a bigger deal of my sin than other people's sin. Like you've heard the saying, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. I just like that twist on that. Love the sinner, but hate my sin. Like let's make a way bigger deal of things we struggle with. And so but yet we, we don't do that naturally. We tend to really expand what other people are doing wrong. And the prophets are, are often a place where God will just speak very truthfully to his own people. And so let me, let me just square up on this. Like in, you might be new at church. Maybe you're new to the Jesus stuff and all that. Like Jesus loves sinners. Like, in, there's no one in this room that's righteous on their own. Nobody strolled in here and God goes, oh man, that, that guy's perfect. Or man, she is amazing. Like, no sin there doesn't need a savior at all. Like, it's the exact opposite. Every one of us, when God looks at us, he sees uh, brokenness, he sees sin, he sees rebellion. Um, but in his love, he had Jesus move toward us, die for us. 
Jesus offers us salvation, forgiveness of our sins. So please hear me on this. Uh, God loves every one of you where you are right now. Whether you know Jesus or not, he loves you and he's relentless in his pursuit of you to know him, okay? So in whoever it is in this room uh, that is the worst sinner besides me, okay, if that person says, I need Jesus, boom, it's done. Like forgiven and relationship with God starts. But this God who loves you still also sees the sin in our lives. And he hates that sin because of what it's doing to us, what it's doing to people around us. It's very offensive to him. And so he's going to be as relentless to reveal and expose that sin in us so that the same gospel that saved you can then set you free from that sin so that you can become more like Jesus. And so what you see sometimes in the the people that the prophets are talking to, sometimes they're so concerned about the sins around them or they kind of think like, well, maybe my sins aren't that big a deal because I'm on God's team now, sweet. You know, and it's like, no, 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 these are still a big deal. And God in his love will not let the sin in our lives go unexposed. He wants, he wants to expose those so that he can deal with them. So just think about how mad you would be at a surgeon who, who looked at some scans of you and in your head saw like this big tumor and saw this like, mm, man, I, I should probably tell them about that tumor, but no, that'd be kind of hard. That'd be bad news for them. Or man, if I had to go in and get that tumor, there'd be some pain involved. I think I'll just kind of let them go. Like you'd be outraged at that, right? And so, and so it's the same deal with God. Like when he sees the sin in our lives, he loves us too much to just kind of let it be there. And so there are different ways that God may move into your life to expose the sin so that we go humble before him again and that he can forgive us and he can help us grow to become more and more like Jesus. So I'm not saying that every time there's hardship in our lives, that there's a direct connection that, oh, you must have done something wrong, so God is punishing you. That's not the case. But, but it is true as we read through the prophets that that is a good place to start, okay? There's some hardship going on. There's some hard things in my life. God, I'm just going to go humble before you. And what would you say to me? God, are there some things in my life that you're trying to expose here? And just know that he's relentless to you in his love and his plan to make you more and more like Jesus. And so, and so Habakkuk hears this news and God says, by the way, this is a great example to make sure you're reading the Bible in context. Because I have seen people use verse 5 like maybe it'd be a great t-shirt motto. Like I'm doing things in your day that you would have no idea about. You might slap that on a t-shirt and go, yeah, look at this Habakkuk 1.5. Isn't that a great verse? But if you keep reading the, the things in your day that you not understand, was actually the Babylonian invasion. Okay, so make sure you're speaking the truth in context there. Um, and in the short term, that just sounded like horrendous news uh, to Habakkuk. Um, but, but what is true is that God is moving on. And so we, uh, we have a, a distinct advantage today looking at Habakkuk's story compared to Habakkuk himself. Okay, because all he can see right now is he's on the front end of three Babylonian invasions and deportations of people into exile. Like he's, he's on the front end of about 70 years of really hard stuff for his people, all right? So we're on this side of that. And we see that when God says, you know, I'm working a plan that would totally blow you away if you could even see it. Because what God did is after those 70 years, he miraculously brought his people back to the land. 
so that about 500 years later, the plan and the promise that God made that a Messiah would be born in Bethlehem through the people of God, a descendant of King David, uh, would actually happen. And so that Messiah is Jesus Christ, who other prophets predicted, um, like Isaiah, said there is one coming who will bear the sins of the world. Like all the, all the rebellion against God is going to fall now on, on this coming Messiah. So God was working a plan. He did for the short-term use the Babylonians. He was orchestrating world history. And in just the right time, Jesus was born when he was born, faithful to the promises of God. And then if you trace through the life of Jesus and you get up to Good Friday, you get up to the day that Jesus was hanging on the cross. And let's just pause that for a second because, and let's just pause Jesus on the cross and let's go back to the people Habakkuk is talking to. But they're about ready to step into a time where God is going to use a completely wicked nation to come in and judge his people. And you could scratch your head and say, God, what, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense. But if you fast forward a little bit to an even greater injustice, like how could the Son of God, sinless, holy, perfect, like be on a cross because of a wicked empire, the Roman Empire. This was their way of killing criminals. God, what are you doing? But God in his power and his wisdom was able to take that most heinous event that's ever happened on the planet. And when Jesus died and then rose again from the dead, he defeated our greatest enemies of sin and death. And so from, from that most heinous event, God has brought the greatest blessing that has ever been offered to the world that we can have access to, to our creator God, who is fully good, who is fully strong, and who desires a relationship with us. And so he was speaking truth to um, Habakkuk. I'm doing a work that you have no idea. And so next week again, we'll see Habakkuk had to square up with God again. Well, I don't like your plan. I don't like what you're doing. But we have that vantage point of moving forward and seeing what God was doing back then and what God did with the most heinous event, the most unjust event that has ever happened. And we are still basking in the benefits of what Jesus has done for us. And so when I talked earlier about that journey up the mountain, again, again I do not mean to belittle. There's some very hard why God questions in this room that, that we're going to be coming back to over the next couple of weeks. I'm not saying that's an easy journey to the top, but I, but I can tell you that as you go up that journey, you have a God that completely understands the pain of loss, of injustice, uh, of, 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 of pain, and seeing the death of his son. But we have a God who also is even able to take those hardest moments in our lives and do powerful and amazing things uh, through them. And so, um, again, excited for this journey that we're going to be uh, going on. And so um, what I'd like to do now is we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And as a church, we're going to celebrate uh, communion together. And so if you're serving communion for us, you can come on up this morning. And I want to read a verse to kind of prepare us for this. And it's Mark uh, chapter 14, verse 36. And so as Jesus was praying the night before he was arrested, the night before he went to the cross. Um, this is what he said to his father. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, even in Jesus, the night before the crucifixion, 
you almost see a form of lament. God, is there any other way? Father, any other way besides the cross? And so um, when we talked about Habakkuk's first point, be real with God. Go to God with the things you don't understand, with the things that are hard. Go to him. Even the Son of God did that the night before his crucifixion. But the top of the mountain is when you can say what Jesus said, but not what I will, but what you will. That, that total trust that even in, our, even in our darkest moments, God is working a plan, and that plan is for our good. And so um, as we celebrate communion, we're just remembering what Jesus has done for us in the cross. And so when you get the bread, that's, that's a symbol. It's a reminder of Jesus' body that was given for you. When you get the cup, that's a reminder of his blood that was poured out for you. And all those were done so that your sins would be paid for and so that you could be forgiven, have a relationship with God. And so if that's all new to you this morning, uh, if you're not sure you have that relationship with God, please don't do communion just to kind of fit in or don't just do it as a, as a ritual. You, you don't need to do that. I'd love to free you instead uh, to just really think about, we threw a lot at you this morning, but just really think about uh, your life and what Jesus is offering you, that he's offering forgiveness, that he's offering new life, and all you need to do is put your faith in him. And so I would really rather, if you're not clear on that, to use this time to really pray, ask God to give you understanding about those things. And if you'd like to talk about that afterwards or ask the friend who brought you afterwards, that'd be a great, a great place to deal with that. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll take communion together. So Jesus, we love you, and right now we remember what you have done for us, that in your great love for us. When we were sinners, you died for us. And, and your death for us really just shows our, our condition, that we were so broken, so sinful, that the only remedy that could save us was that the Son of God himself died for us. So you humble us as we look at the cross, but we also know how loved we are, that Jesus, you gave your life for us because you love us and you pursue us. And so as we uh, take these elements, as we hold them until we take them together, just help us use these minutes to reflect on your great love for us displayed at the cross. In your name we pray, amen.